<laughs> Not yet. That mic? Thank you. Turn it off. That's simple. It's simple when you know what you're doing. Were you listening to the words of that last song by any chance? It's the book of Ephesians. All dominion, all power, all positions, all authorities in heavenly realms. Your name stands above them all. And we acknowledge that before you. We acknowledge that out into the spiritual realm that you, Lord Jesus Christ, your name stands above them all. We praise you. We worship you. Today, introduction and review. And I do want to spend just a bit of time on the introduction and review. The text from the past two weeks, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Two weeks ago, the title was Conduits of His Power. Last week, it's all about relationship. In his prayer for the Ephesians, which is what that passage contains, Paul's intercessory prayer for the Ephesians, Paul asked God to help them understand, help them gain a better awareness and a greater experience. If knowledge doesn't become experience, then knowledge is worth nothing. You can know it all, but if you don't experience it in your life, it's worth nothing. Actually, Scripture says all knowledge does is puffs up, makes you proud because you know a lot. It has to outwork. It has to work out into our lives. So Paul asked God to help them understand this knowledge that they're gaining and to experience it in their lives. Two great themes of the Christian life he was mentioning. The power of God within us and the love of God for us. Incredible, beyond our ability to comprehend, God has to help us. His power within us. His love for us. Now, we covered them extensively over a two-week period. We closed both of those weeks. If you remember, if you were here, we closed both those weeks by having an altar call, and we prayed over, we declared the intercessory prayer of Paul for the Ephesians over our congregation. No hands. But I hope that your experience of his power and your experience of his love for you is growing in these days. That's the intention of this, that you will begin to experience his power within you, his love for you. Got that? Anybody got that out there? Other than my brother Art. Art says he got it whether he did or not. I appreciate that. He encourages me. So last week's application, we had a bulletin insert. I want to begin today with something that may have gotten overlooked, may have gotten lost in the shuffle last week of the order call. So will you pull out your bulletin insert? It's the same insert from last week.
Ephesians 3.20, which, which is the closing verses, 3.20, 3.21 of that prayer, says this. And th- this is actually important. We were praying in there today, and we know that we live in the world. We know that we're of the flesh, and that causes us to have a tendency to be distracted, that for, for distractions to occur. And I wish, and I wish I could pray, God, please don't let any distractions in here at all today. But I know that's almost impossible. We're in the world. We're in the flesh. There's going to be distractions. So the prayer is, help us to fight through the distractions. Help us to discipline ourselves to listen and hear for 40 minutes. God just put his amen to that. And fight through the distractions and pay attention. I know it's not easy. There's so many things to think about. So many things we got going on in our lives. So many things we want to get to when we get home and we got to do this week. We need to lay them aside for these 40 minutes. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 is an amazing passage of Scripture. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose, to do super abundantly, super abundantly, is there even such a word? What Paul's trying to talk about, he has to grasp to come up with words to explain. Whenever he puts a long list of adjectives before something, he's grasping at at language to explain this incredible truth. God is able to do super abundantly more than all we dare ask. Now, come on. You can ask some pretty lofty things of God, right? And he is able to do super abundantly more than that immeasurably more, above and beyond. Anything we dare ask or think or pray for, which is the context here, or pray for, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, our greatest hopes, our greatest dreams. And some of us have some great hopes. Some of us have some great dreams. God can do infinitely more than we can even ask, hope, or dream according to his power that is at work within us, super abundantly, more than, exceedingly abundantly, infinitely, immeasurably, above and beyond all that we dare ask or think or hope or dream or imagine. God can do it. What a tremendous promise in the Word of God, a promise, a prayer promise to us from the Word. Man, that that God would activate faith in us to believe that he is able, and not only able, but willing. Many of us think he's able, but he'd never be willing. He's more willing than you know. Why don't we see more of it? Maybe we need to believe more for it. Unbelief hinders God from working. Oh, that God would activate faith in us. And Paul knew that, and that's why he prayed for them. God, help them. They won't be able to understand this. They won't be able to experience this unless you help them. Help us activate faith in us to believe these promises in the Word. These and many others. This one and many others. This promise from the Word makes those seemingly impossible situations that we're facing very possible. Nothing's impossible for God. 
everything is possible for God. Well, you, you don't know the situation that I'm facing. You don't know the situation that I'm facing, that we're dealing with. And I'm starting finally to believe God for it. Believing is becoming just a bit more easy these days because of these words from Ephesians. Anyone who believes in me will do the works that I have done, said Jesus, and even greater works than these. I am able to do immeasurably beyond anything you can even ask me to do. And he's saying other places too, ask, ask. Many of us don't ask. What's it say in James? We have not because we ask not. Many of us think God would never do that or can't do that. And God's trying to correct that erroneous thinking in us. Ask me. Can you really revive and restore a nation that has turned away from you? Ask me. Can you really heal that relationship? Ask me. Can you really save this person? Ask me. Amen. But God, it seems so impossible. That's when I work best, when you can't do anything about it, and you have to depend on me to do it. God, you're amazing. The power of God within us, the love of God towards us, means nothing is impossible for us. So again, your insert. We're not going to do it together here. It's your insert. Maybe in your devotions tomorrow, whenever you feel led, take it, just check out the insert, and here's what it is. List something on there, if you're so inclined. List whatever the Holy Spirit impresses upon you to jot down there. And then commit to pray regularly for that request according to the promise in Ephesians 3.20. List those things right now that seem impossible for you. How is it worded? List a situation or matters, that means circumstances, or people in which you want to see God move, but it just seems impossible. Take a chance. Trust God at his word. List it down there and begin to ask him. Pray regularly. I, get, I have a situation that I put down the first week we did this, and I've just been praying for it once a day. First thing in the day, first thing in the day, I'm making sure I'm asking God for that request. That seems totally impossible for me to see anything happen there. I believe, personally, I am an eternal optimist, you know, even though Eeyore is my favorite favorite Winnie the Pooh character. I think God's going to give some of us, not some of us, I think God's going to give us testimonies in 2024. I think people are going to be saying, this was impossible and you're not going to believe what God did. Okay. I was afraid that in the midst of the order call, we didn't really get that last week, so I wanted to begin with it this week. Now on to today's message. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Will you stand with me, please? Marie, if you'll come. We're going to have to walk you all the way over here, Marie, because of the feedback. 
therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have called, you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourself together in peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have, have called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is all over all, in all, and living through all. May be seated and thank you. So Marie read the entire passage, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. It's a, it's a segment together. They, those verses are, are part of one passage, but we're only going to deal with verse 1 today. We're going to really break it down. We're going to, it's going to be the same verse on the slide each time, but with a different word or a different phrase emphasized. The title is, Now That You Know. So the obvious question is, uh, now that we know what, Pastor? Glad you asked. Let's get into it. Ephesians 4.1. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Therefore, Paul uses these connecting words all throughout his letters. It's a connecting word. It connects what came before with what's about to come. It connects what was said or written before with what's going to be said or written. Therefore, it's a connecting word. So we're connecting whatever we've just heard with what we're just about to hear. Now, the book of Ephesians, it outlines very nicely. When you're studying for ordination, one of the assignments you have to turn in is you have to outline a book of the Bible. Well, all of us guys choose Ephesians because it outlines so nicely. It's chapters 1 to 3 is this, chapters 4 to 6 is that. Bingo. Good. Thank you. Goodbye. So it outlines very nicely, generally speaking. There's always some overlap. There's heavy theology in 1 through 3 and a little bit of practical. And then there's heavy practical in 4 through 6 and a little bit of theology. So you get both in in uh, the sections, but that's basically how it outlines. Chapters 1 through 3, we've covered them. I can't believe we're already up to chapter 4. I'm serious. We got here before I knew it. We only started this when, May or June? June 11th, we began this series in Ephesians. Steve thought it was going to take another 12 years. Well, Steve, we're not done yet. Yeah, we're not done yet. So chapters 1 through 3, we covered them. They detail the positional spiritual life of the believer in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6, they detail the practical daily living of the believer in Christ. So now that you know, now that you know what? Now that you know all we've learned in chapters 1 through 3, let's start living it in chapters 4 through 6. It can't just stay knowledge. It has to work out in the life for it to be worth anything. Agree with that? Get that? So Paul lays it out in 1 through 3, and now he says, I'm going to show you, or at least 
instruct you on how to live it. So, Paul begins the book by making sure they know their position in Christ. They know who they are in Christ. Then he ends the book with, who the, with what they need to know practically, how they are to live in Christ. We know positionally, now we can live practically. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You in here, if you know the Lord, you have been called by God. Just some general information, but then with a, with a minor application. Not the major application, but the minor application. Paul wrote this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome for sharing the gospel. He often refers to himself as a prisoner of the Lord or for the Lord because he was often incarcerated for Christ's sake. But here's the thing, and here's the thing I want us, I believe God wants us, and I want us, and I want me to realize. God did some of his best work in jail. He wrote 13 epistles that became the word of God. He was sharing the word in his imprisonment, leading other prisoners, jailers, and guards, and even government officials to Christ while he was in jail. While he was incarcerated. It actually seems like there's going to be a lot of folks in heaven thanks to Paul being in jail. Did you ever think about that? So here's the application. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that we want to get ourselves incarcerated. But here's, there's a principle here. Those difficult places in life, those difficult places in life, they sometimes produce the best fruit in life. What difficulty might you be facing now? What impossible situation that you now have greater faith to start praying for? What difficulty or difficult place are you in? What's God want to do with you in that place? Not only with you, like in you, shaping you, but who does he want to reach in this difficult place? Most of us have a mindset of, get me out of here, Lord. Amen? That's me. Get me out of here, Lord. The Lord said, I got so much I want to do with you there. Keep your eyes on me. It's when we get horizontal focused, we get in trouble. And when we stay vertical focused, we're good. Look for, God, look for what God wants to accomplish in you, through you, during this difficulty, in the midst of this impossible situation. And I know it's not easy, and I don't like it, and you don't like it, but this is true. Paul didn't really like being incarcerated. He wanted to be free to go about and share the gospel. But God used him mightily in his imprisonment. Remember James 1 and many verses like it. Consider it my pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you're facing trials and difficulties of any kind, knowing this, God is at work. Back to the text. Ephesians 4.1. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. 
He begs the Ephesians to do what's mentioned next in the text. He urges them. He encourages them, pleads with them, implores them, beseeches them. It's way more than simply asking or suggesting. It carries a strong sense. It carries a passion. It carries a sense of importance. That was Paul. That was always Paul. Nothing was just mediocre. Nothing was ever indifferent. Everything he did was with a strong sense of passion and urgency and importance. Because it it is urgent and it is important and we should have a passion. I think one of the most damaging things to a Christian testimony is complacency, indifference, lethargy. Along with hypocrisy, of course. Why are we so lethargic in our Christian lives? Where's the enthusiasm? Where's the urgency? Where's the sense of importance? Where's the passion? Many of us are more passionate about things of earth, things of this life, things of this world, than we are about the Lord and our salvation and our mission. Hard to say amen there, but that's deserving of an amen. So Paul begged them for what is coming next. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. This is the key thought. This is the main point of the sermon. This is what we want to emphasize the most today. Lead a life worthy of your calling. This is the thought that connects back to Ephesians 1 through 3. Now that you know all that you are in Christ, now that you know your spiritual position in Christ, lead a life worthy of that position. Your practical daily Christian living for Christ should match your position in Christ. Should match all those things we've been studying from chapters 1 through 3. Should live up to that. Worthy, it means up to the standard. It means meet the requirement, meet the measurement. It means a genuine reflection. It's, it's worthy. Jesus was a worthy reflection of God his Father. Live a life that is up to the standard of. Live a life that meets the measurement of. Live a life, Christian, that genuinely reflects the truth of who you are in Christ. Paul is begging the Ephesians to begin living a life that reflects who they are in Christ. Turn away from the world, the things of the world, the thinking of the world, and live a life that reflects who you now are in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is gone. Why are you still living in the old ways? Why are you still living according to the old thinking? The old is gone. The new has come. You're a new creation in Christ. And as you learn, as you know who you are, we need to begin living in it. We can't go from here to there, the ideal, but we can go from here to there as we learn, as we know. Now that you know, live what you know. The the more you know of who you are, live the more of who you are. It's a very actual, actually stern word. From the Lord to his church these days. 
a very important word because he needs this. This is who he needs his church to be. We talked a week or two ago about the discrepancy. And I asked and I said, do most of you or do, how many of you actually see a discrepancy between your life and the word of God, the life we see from believers in the word of God? Anybody see a discrepancy between our lives measuring up with their lives? And very few hands went up. But I think God sees a major discrepancy between the lives of his people in the church today and the lives of the uh, the standard of the word of God for his people. And so he's hitting this. Another amen from the Lord. Did you hear it? He's hitting this. Christian, you need to start living up. You need to start living worthy of the life of who you are because you've been called by God to this. God's serious about this. And it's what it's going to take to overthrow evil that has entrenched itself in our nation. The way we've been doing it without throwing stones or being critical, just obvious, the way we've been doing isn't cutting it. What's the definition of a moron? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Something has to change. And God's desperately trying to change it. And it's his church. Because, see, it's his power within us, him using us, that's going to make the change. But if we're indifferent and we're lethargic and we're complacent, he doesn't have much to work with. So, Pastor, does that affect how much God loves me? I say this often, don't I? No, it does not. Pastor, if I put my trust in the Lord, does this affect, if I don't really move into this and walk in this, is that going to affect my salvation? No, it is not. If you've trusted the Lord, you're saved. Well, what's it going to affect? It's going to affect your experience of him and all that he has for him and being useful to him. And it's going to give the enemy a continued free ride. Because the thing that can stand against the enemy, it's not government, it's not science, it's not, it's not medicine, no civic organization, it's the church. Church is the only thing on earth that has authority to stand against the enemy. So that's what he laid out in Ephesians 1 through 3. You have this tremendous spiritual position, authority of who you are in Christ. Now I beg you. Start walking in it. Walk worthy of it. Ephesians 4.1, imagine that. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. The word calling, called. The word actually means an invitation. Now, think about this. The word actually means an invitation. It means to be invited to become a part of something. Think about this. Don't just skip over this. Don't be distracted right now. Think about this. The word calling, called, has everything to do with an invitation to become part of something. Calling is the noun. It refers to that which we are invited into, into a calling. Called is the verb or the action. We are invited by God himself. 
It's the same word Jesus used when he was calling his disciples to himself. Matthew 4. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. They left their nets at once and they followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. He invited them to come too and to be a part of something. The same word that Paul uses in Ephesians is the word that Jesus used to call his disciples to himself to become a part of something he was doing. He was recruiting them into something. You are called of God. You've been invited by God himself. You've been recruit, recruited. You've been handpicked by God to be a part of something. What a high privilege. Are you going to spurn that? They were called, they were invited by Jesus to become his followers and to join him in his work, to join him in his ministry, to join him in his kingdom enterprise, the calling. Not just the original 12. Well, yeah, that was them. I mean, they were, what, spiritual giants. Well, you know, they weren't, <laughs> actually. They were ordinary men who God used extraordinarily. They're just like you and just like me, maybe worse. Maybe some of them were worse than some of us that Jesus called. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. But it's not just those 12, because listen to this. Mark 8, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you, any of you, God's love is incredible for sinful human beings. If any of you out there, and you can imagine some of the people that were in the crowd, because they're in the crowd out there right now today. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus invited them into the calling. It's available to any. It's available to all who will respond. The crowd, so to speak. It's available to all those who will come to Jesus, receive him as their Savior and Lord, and give their lives to him. All those who will RSVP to the invitation. Now, if you accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you know him, you responded, you RSVP'd to the invitation. You are now a part of the calling. You are now a part of the call of God. Many of the Ephesians who heard, heard Paul's message of salvation, eternal life, and this calling, they did just that. They came to Christ. They received him as their Savior. They gave their lives to him. They signed on to the mission. Now he's begging them, since you've done that, live a life that's worthy of that calling. I believe in a certain sense God is begging the church today to begin living lives that are worthy of this high calling of being a follower of Christ. Here's the challenge. I don't know how that verse even got in there, but it might fit. See, do we have the wrong 
I'm going to roll with this. I don't remember putting this verse in here. I know all, Romans, uh, Revelation 3, 15 and 17. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, lethargic, complacent, indifferent, don't really care. Since you're lukewarm, like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's time to put away the indifference, the complacency. There's no time for that in these days. It's time to be hot. It's time to be on fire for Christ, so to speak. God is not expecting, or I'm sorry, God is expecting, and we need to be living lives that reflect who we are in Christ. If we say we are a believer, that we are in Christ, and that all these lofty things are true of us, if we're expecting him to move on our behalf when we want and need something, then our lives should reflect who we are in Christ. We should be genuine, not hypocritical. Do you know what the word hypocritical means? It's an actor. It's pretending to be someone who you're not. We're not to be one thing in church and another thing in the world. That's hypocritical. Folks should not be surprised when they find out that you're a Christ follower. Oh, my gosh, you're actually... Oh, my gosh, you're actually a Christian? Oh, I would have never guessed that. I would have never known that. I didn't know you went to church. They should not be surprised when they find out we're a Christ follower. You've heard the saying, I'm sure, if you are arrested for being a Christian, would there actually be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Listen, now that we know who we are in Christ, God is expecting and we need to be living lives that reflect who we are in Christ. No more indifference, no more complacency. There's no more time for that. It's time to put away the sin that does so easily beset us. Let's see what other surprises we have on here. Yep, there's another one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is a promise that we just throw out there and say, yeah, God will work it out for good. But wait, this is a specific promise to those who are called by God and have responded to that calling. If you have accepted the invitation to become a follower of Christ, then this promise is for you. So the application, let me just check out where we're at here. Yeah. So the application. This is not, the, this is not actually the message that I, I put together here. <laughs> this is hilarious to me. I mean, it was up to the last two or three slides. I don't know where the rest of it went. But it works. It seems to be working. 
The application before we pray together is simply to reflect on what you've heard and what are you going to do with what you've heard today? Have you heard what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church? And for each one of us, I think there'll be a different application. What is God saying to you? What is God saying? How is God saying you are to respond to what you heard today? That's what we'll think about as we pray and as we worship. So we will close with that. And if you'll stand with me, Sonny, you bring the band forward, if you would, and Steve Robinson's going to come and pray. band's coming up. I thought it was interesting in the first part of the message today. Pastor said that Paul was in prison for teaching the word of God, the word of Christ, and bringing it to the people in the in Rome, uh, the guards. The uh, normal, everyday people like us. But he just kept giving the word to people, and they put him in prison for it. And I just thought it was interesting. They put him in prison, and then he continued to do it. I just thought about, okay, Paul, we're going to leave you out. Oh, no, you did it again. We're going to keep you. And uh, it just over and over again. And that just made me to realize that joy, when in James where it says, consider pure joy when you, are, you experience trials. It's not that you enjoy the trials, but they're just not as overwhelming when we're walking in Christ. You know, there's still, it's still the same trial. Uh, it's still probably just as hard, but it just doesn't seem that way when we walk in Christ. Amen. Father, I just give you praise and thanksgiving for the wonderful, loving and caring God that you are. Yes. I pray for each and every one of us here. If we are in this room, everyone in this room today, whether we know it or not, whether we were all already a believer or it's the first time we've been in a church in a long time or it's the first time we've ever been in a church, the reason we are here is because you have called our name. And it is, it is up to us to hear that call and decide whether we want to follow you or not. Every one of the disciples, Jesus came up to them and said, follow me. He didn't make them follow him. He just asked them, and they had a choice, and we have a choice. Father, I just ask that you would just, everyone in this room, Father, that we follow you. 
that we surrender ourselves fully to you, that we walk in your power, though we may not understand the power that we have, but we just surrender ourselves to you, that we may walk in that power, and you will show us that power each and every day we become more powerful in your name. So the things of this world won't be so oppressing to us. That the things that are happening around us won't seem so hopeless, but they will become hopeful. We will know that there are better things to come and that we will keep our minds and our hearts and our souls focused on you, knowing that one day, one day we will walk in glory, walk on the streets of gold, and there will be no evil, no hurt, no pain whatsoever that we will experience, that we have that to look forward to. And just give us the joy and the direction that your power affords us. Let us not be afraid to speak out your word. Let us be willing to be incarcerated. Not that we will be, but let us be willing to be incarcerated, to be hated, to be disliked, to be mocked. Whatever it is the world has for us, let us be willing to take that because we live in your power. Because you are greater than any one of us. You are greater than the world. You have overcome the world. You have overcome death. Father, we just give you praise and thanksgiving. We thank you. We thank you that you have called each and every one of us. That you called us and called our name. That you knew the name of Stephen. You knew the name of each and every person in this room. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Teach us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.